In other words, it tells us that we shouldn't just take this lightly. We shouldn't just kind of jump into it and think, ah, it's not that big a deal. It doesn't matter. Because here's why. There's a lot riding on this. There's a lot riding on this. I don't think sometimes we understand the magnitude, if you will, or the, the enormity of what we're talking about here on a Sunday morning or, or maybe in small groups or life groups or, or maybe in a conversation that you're having in a one-on-one discipleship meeting. You, I don't know that we understand the magnitude of what we're talking about, and we need to consider that. Now, there, I think there's three important things, and these are actually right out of the verse, our key text today. Uh, it's like a little mini message before we get to, the, to what we're going to talk about specifically today. But there's three important things to consider about what we believe from our key texts. And here they are. And I think these maybe will help us kind of process maybe this whole belief thing in our own lives. First one is this. Is what power am I living by? What power am I living by? I mean, because Jesus said, I am the resurrection. And resurrection, this idea of resurrection is power. It's, it's this defeating something. It's, it's this power moment that God has. And he says, I am that power. And the question then goes back to us and our belief system and where we are in relationship to God and where we're in relationship to who I am and all these different things. What power am I living by? Like, what do you mean? Well, here, am I operating in my own strength or his strength? Am I, am I operating day to day in my life in the strength that I have and my own abilities and my own thoughts and my own wisdom and everything I have and totally leaving out of the picture the power, that resurrection power of God? What power am I living by? Because that's huge to my belief. Or and, and here's kind of another thought. Am I trying to always fill my own tank and always feeling empty? I know that one. I, I do that. I, I know that I can tell when I start feeling really, really empty, the only reason I'm feeling really empty isn't because Jesus is not p- doing what he should be doing. It's because I have begun, begun to fill myself with my own power and my own strength, and that's why I'm empty. And so what power am I living by? Here's, here's the second one. Right from, it says, and the life in our text. And you, we will live, you know, and believes in me will live. And so what kind of fulfillment am I experiencing? What, what, what's, life, what's life giving as a sense of fulfillment in life? Because this is directly connected to my belief in Jesus or my beliefs. What fulfillment am I experiencing? Am I experiencing life as God intended? Am I living or just surviving? I mean, is that really what's going on? I think it's a very, 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 very sad story to qualify our lives in this statement that says, I'm surviving. I'm getting by. When, when, it, when in reality that this belief in this relationship with Christ that you and I could have would be totally opposite of surviving. It would be thriving or living to the fullest or having fulfillment. And so my beliefs are directly connected to this idea that I can experience something grander than what I experience right now because something is powerfully happening in my relationship with God and Christ. Am I experiencing life as God intended? Am I living or just surviving? Have I really uncovered the meaning of what it is to really live? To really live. Because I think sometimes we think really living is a job that pays really well. That's not really living. I think really living is having that, that moment of pleasure. Man, I'm really living now. 
Is that really living? Because Jesus says something totally different. He says, you know what, I am the resurrection of life, and if you believe in me, you will live. You'll have fulfillment. And so when it comes to belief, that's a huge question and consideration that I need to have in regards to that. What kind of fulfillment am I experiencing? And here's the, here's the last one, and right again out of our text. What is my eternal destination? Because he said, you will live even after dying. Now, a lot of us don't like to talk about that. We don't like to think that somehow, someday, some way, it's all going to end. And some of us, maybe because of life's experiences, maybe because of what we've been around family or, or, or maybe a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or a daughter or a son, somebody close to us has died, and you have a little bit more of a reality to that. I always say it this way, that life is fragile. Life's fragile. And then after that comes eternity. And the question with belief is, is where am I going to spend eternity? Where, where is my eternal destination? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Eternity. And so I have to question that. I, you know, based on the path I'm right now, <clears throat> excuse me, where is it leading me? After I die, now what? Because I, I get one shot at this. I mean, I want to do a series. I don't know when I'm going to do it, but I got this series in me. It's called YOLO. You know? But I'm not talking about YOLO, get your party on. I'm talking about YOLO, you better figure out what you're doing because you only got one shot. <laughs> and so somehow we got to wrestle with this idea. After I die, now what? Is this moment in time just preparation for the big show? In reality, it is. And so all of a sudden, because of the power that I might be living by and the fulfillment that I might experience and the destination that I might end up at, believing becomes a big, big deal. So then all of a sudden, this talk that we're having, this conversation that we're having, this exploration, exploration that we're having uh, of this idea is really important. So, so that kind of just sets the stage to talk about it today. So I came up, I asked myself several weeks ago, why do I believe in Jesus? Why do I? If somebody walks up to me and says, why do you believe in Jesus? You know, what, what am I going to say? What, what, what would I say? What would be the answer? What would be the reason? As it said last week in the text, what would be the logical, uh, uh, you know, defense for what, what I believe? You know, last week I, I threw out this idea, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to go and listen to it online. And, and, and we kicked off the series with this idea that I believe in Jesus because of his truth. Because of his truth. And we talked about historical truth. We talked about prophetic truth. We talked about the claims of Jesus' truth. But the two that really pound on my heart is the truth that he exposes the lies that are within me. That when I come close to Jesus, all of a sudden there's clarity like never before. All of a sudden I can see myself in relationship to the big picture. And whoa, buddy, it makes a lot of sense. And I realize there's some things going on. The lies come alive in me. Not that they weren't there. God brings exposure. He illuminates. And not only that, thank God, he doesn't leave me there. But the truth then sets me free. It gives me an opportunity to change course. And so that's the first reason. And so, so that was the big one. Uh, you know, but, but today I want to talk about another one. I want to explore another idea. And here's what it is. Why I believe in Jesus. Because of his love. Because of his love. His passion. Now when I say that, I... 
I know that we, we are Midwestern guys. A lot of you have, you know, I have some German heritage in me. German guys, we don't show feelings or emotions very much. You know, we're not going to let somebody love us. You know, especially guys, you know. We don't want to be a part of that. And I know some of you, some of you, when you have teary moments, and we've talked about this, it's just an allergy thing that's happening. It's not really, right, right? But, but somehow we got to wrestle with this because that's a big reason, you know, that, that it might be awkward and an, an idea to really be loved by somebody, but that's really the reason why I believe in Jesus, because I've been loved. You know, and, 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 and a lot of times we've been taught not to show emotion or to engage in love, but the reality, here's the reality, is we all have a built-in need to be loved and valued. See, there's not a person in the room right now that doesn't have that in them. As hard as you might appear to be, as disconnected as you might be, there is still something in you that needs desperately to be loved and cared for and valued. You can say it as much as you want. I don't need that. But there's something in you that does. And you're saying, well, why is that? And here's why. It's because God planted that in you so that somehow you might have the ability to respond when it happens. That somehow you might have this ability to respond to the love of God when the moment finally arises. That God would meet you in that moment. And that's part of it. Now, years ago, um, before I I surrendered my life to Christ, my, my mom and my uncle gave their lives to Christ about six months before I did. And my uncle, you gotta, let me give you a picture of my uncle. My uncle was this hippie, you know, he turned me on to BTO. You know, for some of you who don't know what that is. And this is, you know, so I'm just giving you a BTO's Bachman Turner Overdrive. All right? Come on. All right, yeah, I know. Come on. Okay? Yeah, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're talking about hardcore, you know, Leonard Skinner, you know, getting in that world, you know. That was my uncle. Well, he gave his life to Christ. He's still going strong, right? And so he's the one that got me drunk when I was a little kid one of the first times. He was like about eight years older than me, and he, you know, I mean, that kind of stuff. And so this was the relationship. And then my mom, bless my mom's heart, you know, she's just a wild woman, and God got a hold of her and stuff. Well, after that happened, they watched me as being the wild child that I was, and they'd catch me on the street or catch me when I'd run through the house or do something, and they'd point at me, Troy, and this is what they say, God, and they tried to do it really compassionately. God loves you. I wanted to punch my mom and my uncle at the same time. And we just, ah, don't say that to me. I mean, it just made me mad. Like, ah, because I knew it was true. But I didn't want to surrender to it. And there was something about it that just drove me nuts. And, and a few months later, I came face to face with the reality that they had been saying. And it was in the midst of a time when Jennifer and I, we were married, and we were having all kinds of marriage problems, and, and it wasn't good. And, and God showed up. And you know how he showed up? He loved me. He loved me. And he loved me. He loved me. He loved me. And I couldn't get away from that love. I couldn't run away from it. No matter how hard I would have tried to excuse it or say, no, he doesn't love me, I knew he loved me. I couldn't run from it. God loves me. My mom and uncle were telling me that, but finally God met me, and I knew it because that thing inside me knew that I needed that, and God came and he did it. He made that moment real. So 
By the way, here, here's a couple thoughts. There's two things that rock my world. One was this, the magnitude of my situation. This is what rocked my world. The magnitude of my situation. My eyes were open to how broken and desperate I was without God. I was a mess. And some of you, here's the challenge of that thought within relationship to believing. Is a lot of times, some of us, we're just naturally a little bit better than some. And then we put our faith in that little bit better. But the reality is, is without Christ, we're all the same. We're all desperately broken. We're all desperately broken. Even though you might have a little bit better upbringing, you know, sometimes I just think some people, they get better direction in life to how just be a little bit better or a good person. But inside, I'm still really broken. But see, I came to a realization, a magnitude of my situation, which then pointed me back to the truth that exposes. And here's the second thought, is the majestic nature of his love. I couldn't pick a word, majestic or, or just huge or, or this amazing large scope of his love. I mean, all of a sudden, those two things came into contact with one another. The magnitude of my desperate situation and the majestic idea of his love. They collided and something happened. And that's why I believe. I mean, those two things came alive, and, and, and it really made a distance. That some difference, that the idea that someone who knows how personally rebellious I have been towards them would purposely and knowingly choose to love and die for me. So then there's all kinds of angles, and let me kind of run through a few of them real quick. There's all kinds of angles, and these little ones for me. I mean, you might have a little bit different angle, but I think these are very biblically sounded. I didn't know that at the time, but this is what was happening. I didn't know that God's love was colliding with the magnitude of my brokenness and my sin, but this is what was happening. Here's the, here's the first one. Let's just run through them. His love is astounding to me. It's so astounding because it doesn't at times make logical sense. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 5. It says, when we were utterly helpless, when we were utterly helpless, I don't know how bad that can, I mean, that's pretty bad. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. By the way, a sinner is somebody that's in rebellion and actually an enemy of God. They're fighting against God. It says, now most would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. Here's an amazing thought, and sometimes we get lost in this because we think that the only way I can believe in Christ or have a relationship with Christ, if I can somehow clean my act up and get myself to a point where finally I'm worthy of him loving me. It's totally the opposite. That while you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, while I was an enemy, while I was broken, he still loved. It's astounding. It doesn't make any sense. It's amazing. And the greatest, because here's why, the greatest expression of love is to what degree I am willing to sacrifice for another. For Jesus, it was giving his own life for ours. He gave everything to those who deserved nothing. He gave everything for those who deserved nothing. That is astounding, amazing love. And the reason I believe that in an act of selfless love, he died for me. 
He died for me, an undeserving sinner, an undeserving 20-year-old rebel that said, screw everybody. That's who God died for. That's who Jesus died for. And I believe today because he loved a guy just like me and just like you. That's why I believe it's astounding. And so note this, that Jesus purposely dying is the answer for his followers is unique to Christianity alone. Did you realize, do you know that? That every other religion is different. It's just based on teaching, do this, do this, do this, do this. Whereas in Christianity, God comes and says, no, it isn't just do this. I'm going to die for you. Believe this. Believe this. That somehow he's going to pour it all out. See, sacrificial love is based on two things, how much it costs the giver and how undeserving the recipient is. Consider this for a moment. Consider that person you really don't like. Just kind of picture them in your mind. Don't look around. Just picture them in your mind. <laughs> that person you don't really like, you know, maybe that coworker, that family member sometimes, that neighbor, what, whoever that person is. Consider that person you don't really like, and, and you might put up with them. But the truth be told, they just annoy you. I mean, if you could just be really honest, they just annoy you. Matter of fact, they kind of drive you crazy. They kind of get under your skin. They just kind of, ugh, you know? And, and that's all. Now, consider that same person, and you've been asked to die so that person can live. <laughs> when I first wrote that down, I wanted to write right beside it. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> But the reality is, is that's exactly what God did towards us. Not just the person that annoys me, but the person that was in rebellion against me. The person that was actually attacking me. The person that was coming after me. That's what he did. So it's astounding. It's, it's so astounding that it overwhelms me at times. You know, the times that I've cried as a Christian over the last 29 years... I would almost say, and I'm just going to throw this out as a number, that it's probably 95% of the time that I found myself in tears before God was that because his love was overwhelming me. That all of a sudden I realized the magnitude of my situation and the majesticness of his love. And all of a sudden I found myself in tears because, God, I can't believe how much you choose to love a person like me. And it overwhelms me. It, it astounds me. It overwhelms. His love captures me. It actually, it so grabs a hold of me. I can't run away from it. I can't get away from it. I can only respond and say, okay, Lord, I, I love you too. Because nobody loves me like Jesus does. And there's this old phrase, and this is a phrase I learned years ago that I've never forgotten because I know it to be true. And here's the phrase. The tender mercy of God breaks the hardest of hearts. The tender mercy of God breaks the hardest of hearts. My heart was hard, and he broke it. My heart was resistant, and he broke it. I was a hard-hearted sinner, but the tender mercy of God turned me into mush. That is one of the reasons why I believe in Jesus. It's not my love for God that overwhelms me. It's his love. When I was helpless, when I was powerless, the enemy of God, he poured out his love on me. So first and foremost, he astounds me with his love. Secondly is this, is his love pays for me pace for me. You ever been in a place where you, you were so upside down, you, you, you knew that unless someone helped you or did something, you would just be in a bad place. <laughs> <You're> screwed. <laughs> you were just, there's no way out. 
There's no help. There's no hope. I mean, I'm so upside down in debt. I'm so upside down in, in this situation. I, there's nothing that can change that. And the idea that somebody in the midst of that situation would come along and pay the, your way would just be crazy. And see, that's what Jesus does. He pays for me. It's, it's that understanding that I had a debt so big I could never pay it back. And, and the picture of God's love is extended to us. And he pays a debt we could not pay. He pays for something I could never fix. I couldn't fix my own sinfulness. But Jesus says, I'm going to pay for that. And like, wait a minute, you know who I am. Truth. He says, yeah, I know, but I'm going to pay for that. And that's why I believe Here's the scripture, 1 John chapter 4, it says, This is real love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away whose sins? Our sins. His sacrifice paid my price. I should have paid that, but he paid it. He paid the price for me. He paid my way. He covered my bill. He canceled my debt. He was paying for me, not himself. He was perfect. I was broken. He was sinless. I was guilty. He paid my way. His love. Here's the third one. His love comforts me. His love comforts me. For the past 29 years, I've experienced again and again what it means to live life embraced by God's love. I mentioned before how many times I've had those moments of emotional where I just was in tears before the Lord. It's because of love. But there's also been times that I've been in a lot of pain and there was love. There's been those moments where I can look back and I can say, okay, he met me there. He loved me. He met me there. He loved me. He met me there. He loved me. When I blew it over there, he loved me. When, when life got really crazy and upside down over there, he loved me. When, when everything turned crazy with the death of our daughter, he loved me. I mean, when everything seemed like it was the worst, he loved me. He loved me. He loved me. In the midst of the storms, he loved me. Matter of fact, he never stopped. Never stopped. Because his love comforts me. See, not knowing his love, check this out is being full of shame and guilt and doom. But knowing it is having a sense of calm or peace, even though the storms rage. And I know that to be true because his love allows me to experience in the midst of the broken world what it is to be covered by love. I know that. I've experienced that. Here's the verse. It says this. It says in 1 John 4, 18, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. In other words, we're still living under shame. We're still under, uh, under the guilt and all that doom thing. That's why that's happening. We haven't experienced, as it says in the next little part there, for this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. See, some of us, we're going through the hard times. Some of us, we're going through the difficult times, and you don't feel it because it's still fear. It's not love. It, it, those two things haven't collided. It hasn't became that belief that I hold tightly. It's something else, but I know that to be true. I was thinking about it this way. Picture the child in the middle of the night who wakes up screaming because they had a nightmare. Because all of a sudden, it seemed like life was crashing down on them. And what does the parent do? Shut up! No. They run in, and they cover them, and they hold them tightly, and they, they wrap their arms around them, and they let them know it's going to be okay. 
I'm here. I didn't ever leave. I was just in the other room. And it's the same picture. It's that kind of love that God comforts us in the midst of the uncertainty of where we're at. Here's the next one. His, his love makes me a winner. His love makes me a winner. Now, all of us want to win in life, I think. All of us want to win. And I realized in my own life, up until the point I experienced the love of Christ, for the most part, I felt like a loser. I'll just be very honest. Young man struggling to prove himself. Young man trying to find that and, 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 and really struggling, even though I, I, I wanted to give the appearance of it inside my own heart, there was something that was totally the opposite. I'd put on a good show, but I wasn't a winner. I wanted everybody else to think I was a winner, but I wasn't a winner. And, and so I kind of played that game. It goes back to the lie and the truth and all that kind of stuff. But when the love of Christ impacted my life, I began to realize I was a winner on a whole different level. See, my sin had defeated me again and again and again. And I was at a dead end going nowhere. But because of his love, I realized I was a winner. Check this out. Not because of my ability. See, some of us, that's how we think we're winners. We're winners because how smart we are or how successful we are. But all the, that's really not being a winner. And so I thought, thought maybe. And so I realized that it, I was a winner not because of my ability, but because of his choice of me. He chose me. Not because he didn't like everybody else. He loved everybody, but he chose me. Somehow God came in love, knocking at the door of my heart and saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I choose you. And in that moment, I became a winner at a whole nother level. In that moment, I became this idea that somehow I wasn't going to be dead in my sin, going nowhere, no direction, no purpose, no understanding. Nothing in that part of me was going to be the same anymore because he chose me. He chose me. And so no matter what I face, I'm on a winning team. Jesus is, is willing and able to help me through. If the same God who gave up his son is the same God who gives us daily strength and power, we will win. If he gave his son, he will supply our needs. Could you imagine doing that to think that somehow he said, here, I'm going I'm to provide my son. He's going to die on a cross. He's going to show you the greatest demonstration of love. And then when that's all over, I hope you make it. Just the opposite. Now he's committed. Now he's in this thing. Matter of fact, it says things like, he who began a good work in you is faithful to fulfill it or complete it. That he's going to do these things. And so there's a lot of things in life that would try to tell you that you're a loser and you're outside of the reach of the love of Christ. But Paul says it clearly. His love makes you a winner. Check out these verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 31, 32, 35, and 37. It says, what shall we say about wonderful, uh, such wonderful things as these? By the way, that's an interesting thought. That somehow, some way, when we get in contact with this love of God, it does that. It kind of goes, what should I say about this? This is, it's almost unbelievable. What should we say about this? And he goes on, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his son. Here's that idea. 
I mean, he gave his son. He, he's for me. He chose me. He loves me. He died for me. He paid the price for me. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Paraphrase, won't he then make us all winners? Won't he all, all of us, supply all of our needs and meet us in every situation to help us become who he intended for us to be in the first place, going back to the power, the fulfillment, and the eternal destination of who we are? Isn't that what God is going to do? I think so. That he would make that happen. And it goes on and says, and by the way, everything, that means everything's changed. And it goes on, it says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Man, in other words, when life happens, does he still love me? Yes, you're still a winner. When the, the gut punches come and the things are happening, you're getting drilled left and right. Does he still love you? Yes, he still loves you. And he's going to bring you through. Because you're a winner. Because he chose you. He loves you. No matter what I face, his love is faithful and will bring me through it. No, in the last verse, verse 37. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. By the way, I noticed something, a random thought, just a random thought. I talked about motorcycles earlier. Here it is again. There are only two motorcycles mentioned in Scripture, triumphs and victory. <laughs> I don't know what that says about Honda, Harley, Moto Guzzi, all those other ones. But anyway, they're, that's a, a random whoop, bird, squirrel. Here's the last one. So here's the last one. His love makes me want to love. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. His love makes me want to love. So if you could walk with me when I was 16, I was, I was an angry, mean person. I don't know if I loved anybody. I didn't love myself. Definitely didn't love God. Definitely didn't love you. I'm just being honest. But somehow when I come in contact with that love, it made me want to love. It was a miracle. I've been exposed to love. I was stamped by love. 1 John 4, 19 says it this way. We love because he first loved us. Notice the order. We love because he loved us. Not we love because we chose to love. There's something happening there. And see, a lot of people don't love because they have never experienced true love of Jesus. They're trying to manufacture it, but it only goes so far. I want to close with the scripture. I, don't, I, want to, I think it's in your scripture reading, but the text isn't in there. But I want to just walk through this scripture in Ephesians. Ephesians 3. And it's Paul speaking, and it fits perfectly in what we're talking about here today. He says this in verse 14. He says, when I think of all this, and it's in the context of the, the mystery that God would love such a person like me. That he would give himself for such a person as me. That he would pay for such a person as me. That he would choose such a person as me. That he would do all the things that we just talked about. That he would comfort somebody like me. In the midst of all that, I mean, he's just talking about the mystery of God and how God is working. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. 
So when I consider his love, all of a sudden it brings me to my knees. It brings me to that place where I, 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 it should be that I would bow. It shouldn't be that I would shake my fist and say, how dare you love me? It should bring me to that point where I say, man, God, look where I'm at. Look who I am. And then it says, the he says, I fall to, to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. All of a sudden, I get this reality, man. This God loves me, and he's in power, and he's authority of over all things. Man, Lord. And there's this perspective. He says, I pray from, this, from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. In other words, I, I hope that you can live the way God intended for you to live. That you can have the power that God wants you to have. That you can have that, that fulfillment that God wants you to have. That you would go towards the destiny that God wants you to have. That somehow that would happen. I pray that happens in you. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Believe. Believe. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong make you a winner and may you have the power to understand, believe as all God's people should it's expected somehow I would have a revelation of this, that I would understand this is why I believe, this is it this is the reason I, I should expect this and it says how wide, how long how high and how deep is love and may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to understand fully it's astounding then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God going right back to where we start what power are you living by is it your own or is it the love of God that compels you is it the love of God that stirs you, that says, God, I want to give everything I am because you love me. God, because you love me, I give everything I am to you, Lord. Everything, it doesn't matter. It's all you. Lord, it compels, it stirs me. It gives me power to keep doing what I'm doing for you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for capturing my heart with and maybe there's those here today, God, that, that the longing that's in their heart, that, that thing that you placed in us, the deep that calls to the deep, God, that thought, that idea that I long to be loved, but I've never believed that this moment would be the moment. Lord, I know you love me. Even though I'm rebellious, even though I'm a sinner, even though, God, I'm an enemy, even though I'm utterly helpless, even though all those things, you love me. And I want to respond by just simply saying, Lord, I trust you. I believe. I believe. If that's you today, would you just wave your hand at me? I believe. Lord, in Jesus' name, meet each one of us. Stir great faith. Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name.